podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, visit WOGCC.com. Today I want to continue in this Simple Church series. And as I was praying about what the Lord would have us go into and what the Lord would have us do, I was thinking, you know, we kicked off by talking about clarifying our values as a family, that church is family, that it's not somewhere we go, but it's who we are. And we talk about that, and we want to model that, and we want that to be felt here at Word of Grace, not just on the weekend only. And then we talked about the need to invest in one another and how we should invest relationships, you know, and how we should intentionally invest in one another's lives and and as we recognize that we are being invested in. And then we talked last week about how we need to be in awe of Jesus, not for what he's done, but just for who he is and how that will cause us to be abandoned for the sake of Christ. That when he gives us instruction, when he tells us to go, that it's not even a question to us because we're so in awe of him and he has so gripped our hearts. And as I was thinking about what the Lord would have us to talk about next, I thought, you know, there's a lot of times in the church family, just like your natural family here that you're connected to uh, on earth, where there is conflict, where there's opportunity for division, where there's opportunity for strife, where there's opportunity uh, for disagreements, where there's opportunity for all types of discord to be sown among your family. Even so, the same is true of the church, right? And we see those things happening. And you may have been a part of things like that that have happened in church families before where there's a grieving process, where there's pain, where there's anger, where there's unforgiveness, where there's bitterness, where there's all these things that may happen in the context of church family. And we step back and we look at it and we go, this isn't church. And we go, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. We're all supposed to be loving each other, holding hands, singing kumbaya, and we're you know, frolicking through the forest, and there's bunny rabbits and deers and butterflies chasing us, and every day is a musical. You know, you just wake up, and you start singing, and it's a great, beautiful day, and that's supposed to be church. And if we think that way, then when conflict comes, we don't know how to deal with it. And if we don't understand how to deal with conflict in the context of the church family, then we will miss, oftentimes, the stuff that the enemy is trying to bring into the church family in order to sow discord and sow division, because the enemy hates progress. The enemy loves division. The enemy loves strife. That's why when people sow discord and strife, they're being used by the enemy. That's why the Bible says, Ephesians 6 and 12, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in high places. Those rulers of darkness, the, the thing that they're trying to do is sow discord among the brethren. And when that stuff begins to happen, people don't know how to handle it because they're going, kumbaya, man, kumbaya. And they don't know how to deal with it. And they freak out and they don't handle it correctly because they don't look to God in how to handle that because they don't think it should happen. You and I need to realize that as a church family that yes, we want to move forward. We want God to do great things among us and he is doing great things among us and we're going to continue to press on forward and he's going to continue to do great things. But we would be fools to not think that we would be met with opposition somewhere along the journey. 
So we need to be aware that opposition is out there that would want to tear apart the family of God, that would want to sow discord, that would want to cause pain and conflict. And you and I, first of all, need to be aware of the enemy and his devices. The Bible says we don't need to be unaware of those things, but we actually need to raise our awareness because we're not stupid and we're not going to just think that everybody's supposed to always be kumbaya and holding hands. We got to realize each one of us has been given this thing that gets developed and it grows and it gets nurtured and pet and, and, and groomed and, and, and some, we, some are bigger than others and some are stronger than others and it's called an opinion. And we all have one. And when you put those opinions together in, in a cage, uh, say a room like this, you know, there, there may be differences of opinions and there may be some that don't quite agree. And then if you have a really strong opinion and then someone else has a really strong opinion and they battle, then the outcome is not always, oh, well, it's just high five kumbaya. We don't always get along. We don't always agree on everything. So we look oftentimes, I think, at Christianity or, or at, at church as this thing where everybody's supposed to be ultra-passive and everyone's just supposed to get run over and no one is supposed to have an opinion and no one's supposed to have conflict. And then if they do, they must be in sin. And that's wrong. That's a wrong attitude. To have, that's a wrong mentality to have. No, we actually need to realize that we have an opinion. That's a good thing. We need to realize that we should be uh, standing up for ourselves. That's a good thing. We need to realize that God has not called us as Christians, as men and women of God, to be passive and allow everyone and everything to run over us. But at the same time, Jesus said that we're going to be identified because we have love for one another. If you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus was not the most passive guy around that let people run over him. Jesus was a very strong person. Jesus was perfect in every single way. And he had to deal with conflict. There were people that didn't like Jesus. What? And you think about that, well, that's because they didn't really know Jesus. I mean, I would not have a problem with Jesus, but we do. We have conflict with Jesus all the time. What? I would never have conflict with Jesus. Yes, you do. We all have conflict with Jesus because when we hear him speak something in his word and we decide to go contrary the other way and say we know better, that's conflict with Jesus. We all have conflict with Jesus. It was the same during Jesus' day. Now, Jesus taught us. He said, conflict's coming, so you need to be aware of it. He said, but I'm going to teach you how to deal with it. I want you to understand you need to realize it's coming. You need to realize it's especially coming in the context of family, especially the family of God, the body of Christ, because the enemy knows that if we can get together on something and if we can get in unity over something and learn how to walk in love and peace and unity, that we're going to do great damage to his kingdom. We're going to make a great advances for the kingdom of God. And he hates that. He does not like that at all. So all types of things get thrown at us in order to sow discord. Some of these things are traps. Some of these things are snares. Some of these things aren't very obvious. Some of them are obvious. And you go, oh, that's, that, that's something I need to stay away from. Sometimes you get caught up in things that are actually tearing away at the fibers of the family of God, and you don't even realize it. Because it's a trap. It's a snare. So we need to be aware of those traps, aware of those snares, aware of how to resolve conflict, aware that God has called us to be peacekeepers. So if you're taking notes, that's the title of my message today, the peacekeepers. So here's the deal. Matthew 5 and 9, Jesus said, blessed are the peacekeepers, for they shall be called the sons of God. 
Blessed are the peacekeepers. We all want to walk in the blessing of God. And you walk in the blessing of God when you are submitted to the word of God. When we submit to his truth and say, God, not my ways, but your ways. Might not always look like blessing to you or might not line up with your definition of blessing. But he said I would be blessed if I would be a peacekeeper. And that means his definition of what blessing is, not mine. Because sometimes you're like, I'm trying to keep peace, but the blessing don't look like it's there. This doesn't look like it's worth it, in other words. And we gauge our involvement of being a peacekeeper on whether or not we think that the payout is worth the investment. And if we go, I'm not getting the dividends here that I would like to see in the time frame in which I would like to see it, so I don't want to be a peacekeeper. I want to go out and kick somebody's rear. Instead of being a peacekeeper, I want vengeance. Instead of being a peacekeeper, I want my own brand of justice. And God says, no, actually blessed are you who are peacekeepers. Blessed are the peacekeepers. They're be called the sons of God. You see, family needs to learn to deal with conflict, not run away from it. I think a lot of times that when we look at church in the context of family and we see that conflict and it, and it kind of distorts our view of what we thought Christianity was and what we thought church family was and, oh, this isn't hugging and holding hands and us not and crying and, 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 and everybody singing kumbaya all the time. What's wrong? And we run away from conflict because we don't know how to deal with it. And then we'll last somewhere else until conflict arises again. And then we have no stick to We have no, if that's even a word, and if it's not, it sounds like it should be. <laughs> we, have no, we have no roots and we're not growing. You see, we'll actually not grow spiritually because we're not allowing ourselves to be planted. We're not learning how to deal with conflict. And I think a lot of times that we need to just realize we're going to keep repeating the same old tests over and over again until we learn how to get strong in that area and we learn how to walk through it and not run away from it. We need to learn to deal with this thing. That conflict is going to happen. You may be in conflict right now. I don't know. I don't know where you're at in your walk with God. You may be experiencing conflict within the family of God right now. I don't know. But here's the thing. Running away is not the answer. Learning how to deal with it from God's word is the answer. So I want to deal with some things that we may have thought or may have, we have been fighting with lately or maybe some things that you have dealt with for a long time. These are things that God's been dealing with my heart about and that we need to check ourselves on and we need to make sure that we see clearly how to deal things because we're looking at God as our source. So we're going to talk through a few things this morning. The first one is when someone wrongs me on purpose or inadvertently, what do we do then? What do we do when somebody wrongs us on purpose? Or maybe it's inadvertently. Let me talk to that for just a minute. When someone wrongs you inadvertently, first of all, we need to realize that, 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 that sometimes with certain individuals, our allowance of grace is very shallow. Other people we give more grace to, but some people we don't have high tolerance for. And it's like we just don't give them very much grace. And we live in this land that I think is a very dangerous place to set up camp in. And if you've got a tent there or maybe you've got a permanent dwelling there, I think it's time to call in the demolition crew. And that land is called the land of assumption. A lot of people live in the land of assumption. They set up camp and they've got a permanent address there. And I think that it's time that we call in the wrecking crew and we call in the demolition crew and we say, hey, we're, we're, we're ready to move. I'm tired of living in the land of assumption because if you assume 
what someone is saying or doing is always the legit thing that's always going on or what they're really meaning or intending, then you allow yourself to imagine things. You allow yourself to build up these thoughts and these attitudes towards people that if you actually were to go to them and try to resolve the conflict, they would go, oh man, I didn't mean that at all. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I had no idea you felt that way. Oh, I'm so sorry. And here you done got mad for like years. Over something that they didn't even mean, you know? I mean, they, they might have yawned and you couldn't understand what they... You know how when you yawn, you can't understand what people are saying. It's like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I can't believe they said that to me. Ooh, I'm mad. What are you talking about? Sometimes it's things that are, we're offended over, that we're angry over, that that's not really the deal that's going on. Or maybe you misunderstood, especially if it's on Facebook or through text. I'm, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Because let me tell you something. Uh, Facebook and texting, sometimes the absolute best fire starters. It's, it's, like, it's like whoever created those created just this kindling of sorts, you know. Okay, we're, 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 we're going to, you know, make this kindling for this fire. And we're going to call it Facebook. And, it, and the fire is a fence, you know. And, and we're just going to stoke that fire by saying things that could be taken a hundred different ways. And people love to set up camp in the land of assumption and get angry over all those things. And so now everybody's ticked off and hacked off over stuff that you, you didn't even know they were really not meaning what, they, what you thought they meant. We get all worked up over that stuff. So we've got to be careful. We've we got to give a little bit more grace, right? Hello, somebody we got to give a little bit more grace when it comes to stuff like that because Jesus told us how to handle this stuff. Now, sometimes people are just mean. Sometimes people say things on purpose and they, 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 they hit you upside the head with something and you're like, oh, man, this is, just, this, is, this is wrong. This is so wrong what they're saying or what they're doing. And you want to justify yourself. But let's look at what Jesus says in the book of Matthew, chapter 18. Jesus gives us some instructions on how we're supposed to handle this. Matthew 18 and verse 15 Jesus said, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I feel like I need to say it again. Uh, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That's right. That means don't go around slandering. Don't go around gossiping. Don't go around tearing somebody else down. The first step that you need to do when there's conflict, when somebody does something that offends you, you need to find out, first of all, is this thing on purpose or was it something I'm assuming by going to that person alone and bringing it up and saying, hey, you know, the other day when you said this or when you did this or whatever the case may have been, and you want to resolve this conflict because this is so important that we keep peace and unity, that we go to people alone, that we don't share our offense, that we don't cause our offense to be a stumbling block for someone else. You know, like when somebody's mad about something and they've never even met the person, but you done got them all riled up about somebody they never even met because you've shared so much gossip and negativity and all that junk and they're all mad at someone they've never even seen before. They could be sitting next to them on a bus and they wouldn't even know it. But buddy, if they did, let me tell you. No, that's wrong. We need to go to the person alone. We need to be adults about this, be godly men and women who are... Who, who are Searching for the goal of resolution and peace. I said we need to be men and women who are searching for the goal of resolution and peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the sons of God, okay? So we're wanting to go make peace, not be right. 
A lot of times we get addicted to being right. Don't look at your spouse. Don't look at them. Don't look at them. You, sometimes people just get addicted to being right. They love being right. We love, love being right. Sometimes we worship at the feet of the idol of our own opinion. Sometimes we bow down and go, oh, our opinion, I'm going to worship that because I think I'm so smart and I'm so right and everybody else is just dumb and they need to get with it. Oh, well, you know, if, if we're worshiping at the feet of our own opinion, then we're not looking for resolution. We're not looking for peace. We're not looking for unity. We're actually just wanting to be right. And so we'll surround ourselves with people who make us feel like we're right. And we go and find those friends. Hey, you won't believe what they said. You won't believe what they did. Oh, they're so wrong. You're so right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and you're not helping your cause because your goal is not peace within the family. Your goal is not peace within the church. Your goal is just to be right. If your goal is to be right, then your heart is wrong. Because the goal is resolution. The goal is to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. There's some more scriptures we're going to read here. So Matthew 18, we know we're supposed to go alone. If, if he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he doesn't hear you, what do I do then? Well, Jesus said, if he doesn't hear you, then take with you one or two more. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, then tell it to the church. If he refuses even to hear the church, then let him to be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. And so we see here Jesus tells us how to handle this. And, and basically if you go through that, once you go to him alone, if he doesn't hear you, if he rejects you and resolution's not made, resolution is still the goal. Remember, not you being right. So if resolution hasn't been made, then you need to go get someone else and say, hey, you know, uh, uh, we really want to make this right. We really need to get the air cleared here. We really need to fix this. So I brought someone else with me because my goal is to make this right. Okay, let, let's, let, let's, let's find some common ground here. Let's be able to walk in peace and unity because Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Let, let's talk this out. Let's find forgiveness and let's figure out what, what the issue is. And then you bring someone else with you and, and they're there to help or to mediate. You know, maybe you realize something about yourself that you're one of these people who has a strong opinion and then the temperature of your head seems to go up when you begin to voice your opinion and you get a little hot in the head. And you get a little stubborn and you have some mule tendencies, you know. So anyways, no, nobody here has mule tendencies though, right? Nobody's stubborn. Um, but uh, sometimes we can be stubborn in our own opinions. And we say, okay, I need a mediator. And I realize that. That's a sign of maturity when I realize, hey, it, it would be better. And then if they don't hear you, the, the Bible says take it to the church. And I mean, I, I believe what that means um, is that uh, we, we take it to church leadership. So if we in the church family cannot settle our own things, then bring it to the church leadership and, and, and we can help mediate or, or help to try to bring a resolution because the goal is not resolution. But then if the person doesn't hear you, the Bible says, listen, we, we, we're not going to fellowship with this person. I can't, I, I'm, I'm not going to keep that relationship going with that person because that's an unhealthy relationship. But you have to allow your heart to not be justified in the fact that you, well, I've done everything and they're still not wanting to make peace. No, your goal is always to make peace and your goal is to always find forgiveness. So you need to forgive that person even if they don't want to give the forgiveness in return. Because this is between you and God and you've got to let their offenses and their sin be between them and God. As long as you handle it between you and God, the Bible says you're going to try to handle it between you and them, but if the person won't hear you, 
then you need to make sure your heart's right between you and God. And you commit to pray for that person, commit to love that person, but yet I'm not going to have close relationship with this person. I'm not going to be able to, you know, connect with them until we get this matter resolved because we're obviously not in unity. And so we need to take that very seriously when it comes to handling conflict because we don't need to get caught up in some drama cycle. We don't need drama in our lives, and we sure don't need drama in the church. Right? Uh, and, and, and so we're not just going to keep this stuff going and keep it floating and keep stirring the pot. No, you know what? I've, I've done what I knew to do. I did what Jesus told me to do, and, and I'm trying to keep my heart right between me and the Lord and, and my attitude towards this person, and I've got to move forward and keep praying for them. So we need to understand that, you know, uh, the goal is for us to seek resolution. All right? The next thing I want to handle is when you want to justify yourself in others' eyes. In other words, you want to fight your own battles. What do we do then? What do we do when we want to fight our own battles? Because, man, if that's not a tendency of all of us, good grief. I mean, there's so many times we want to go out and, you know, let everybody know that, hey, hey, I know that somebody's saying this or somebody's doing this, but, hey, let me give you the real scoop. Let me tell you why I'm right and why they're wrong. And we want to go and justify ourselves. And what we need to understand is that if we fight our battles in our own strength, then we're going to get our results. If we fight our battles God's way and we allow His Word and His Spirit to guide us, then we're going to get His results. So it's really up to us. Our results, God's results. Our way, God's way. If we exalt our way above God's way and we say, no, that's not going to work for me, that might be fine for some people, then you're saying you're smarter than God. You're saying that you're smarter than His Word. We have to submit and humble ourselves to that and say, okay, it's not my job to justify myself or to bring justice to someone or a certain situation. That's God's job, not mine. Because you and I have a twisted sense of justice. It's kind of bent more towards selfishness just a little bit. Because if we could have our way, we're thinking, you shoot me, I'm going to shoot you back. You punch me, I'm going to punch you back. You steal from me, boy, I sure am going to hope that you get stole from if, if someone does wrong to us, our brand of justice is we sit around waiting for them to fail. We go, oh, yeah, they got theirs coming. God is going to rain fire and brimstone on them. And then they lose their job or something. Ha, told you. Shouldn't have messed with God's anointed. And that's the kind of stuff we do. We may not be that goofy with it, but in our heart, that's the attitude that we have. And we go, oh, I'm walking with the Lord. They're obviously not as spiritual or holy as me. And that's a wrong attitude to have. That's you exalting yourself. That's you saying that you're better than someone else and that what they get, they're going to get what's coming to them. They're deserving of those things. No, no, no. None of us have truly gotten what we deserved because of Jesus' sacrifice. You and I deserve the penalty that he took on the cross for you and me, and that was death. Our sin, the Bible says the wages of sin, the earnings of sin, the, what you deserve because of your sin is death. But we didn't get it, did we? Why? Because Jesus took it for us. So every one of us are undeserving in the sense of the goodness of God. We're deserving very much of death. We're deserving very much of the torment and the punishment that Jesus took upon himself. But he saw it fit to give a bunch of people who would spit in his face, nail him to the cross, curse his name, his life, in order that we could know God, in order that we could be free. 
And so if Jesus did that, and then he tells me to take up my cross and follow him, he tells me in the book of James that I need to be a good steward of the grace of God that has been given to me. He tells me that I need to follow him and learn his ways. He tells me that no greater love does a man have than this. He'd be willing to lay down his life for his friends. That the world is going to know you're my disciples because you have love one for another. That blessed are the peacemakers because they're the ones that are going to be the sons and the daughters of God. If he tells me those things, then I need to go, okay, my brand of justice is very bent towards me feeling like I've been vindicated in the situation. So if someone talks bad about me, someone slanders my name, someone spreads lies about me, someone tries to harm me, someone tries to do something to me to cause me to fall or to fail or to look bad in others' eyes, then I have to do something called taking the high road. The road less traveled because it's easy to get caught up in the junk of you trying to defend yourself, you trying to justify yourself in others' eyes. But the Bible talks to this in Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 and verse 17 Bible says this, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, you need to live peaceably with all men. Beloved, don't avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it's written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Don't overcome evil but overcome evil with good. He said, don't be overcome by evil. Don't try to overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Man, that seems kind of backwards. Man, that's not very fair sometimes because we want our own brand of justice. You remember the story of Jonah and the whale? I mean, a lot of people have heard the story of Jonah and the whale. That's one of the first stories other than like Noah's Ark and things like that that people hear in like Sunday school or children's church because that's a, that's a fun story to teach about this guy that gets swallowed by a fish and, you know, it's kind of cool. And I remember the flannel graph in Sunday school when I was a kid. And if you were good, you got to come up and move the flannel graph little pictures. And whale ate the man. Cool story for kids. But let me tell you something. Jonah is one of the saddest stories in the Bible. It does not have a happy ending. Because what Jonah does is he runs away from God. Because God said, I want you to go and preach repentance to the people of Nineveh. I've given you a word for them from me. I want you to go and give them that word. He says, no, I'm not going to do it. He tries to run away. Fish comes and swallows him. Three days later, pukes him up on the land. Jonah says, oh, I think I'll do it now. And then he goes, washes up a little bit, goes and preaches to the Ninevites. And guess what happens? The Ninevites go, whoa, we didn't realize the error of our ways. They got convicted. They repented and they turned away from their wickedness. And then Jonah goes and climbs up on a high hill where he can see the city of Nineveh. And he's like, all right, God, let's let the fire show begin. Any minute now, any minute now, not happening, okay, and then Jonah began to get angry with God because God didn't rain down fire and brimstone, didn't destroy the people of Nineveh. Jonah started getting really mad about it, and then God even caused a tree to grow up, give him some shade, and Jonah still 
didn't even see the goodness of God in the situation. He was so bent on destruction. He was so bent on his brand of justice. And sometimes we get so bent on our brand of justice that we can't walk in love and peace and forgiveness towards those who have done us wrong because we want to see them fail. We want to rejoice in their failure. And that's wrong. We don't repay evil with evil. We repay evil with good. What did Jesus say? He said, do good to those who persecute you. He said, those that want to hurt you, those that want to do you wrong. He said, love your enemies. Oh, man. That doesn't mean I let them run over me. I definitely set up boundaries and things like that. But that does, that does mean that I don't have to go out and defend myself because God will fight my battles for me. Amen? You see, if you take the high road, you don't get caught up in the gossip and the slander and the backbiting. You take the high road, God will bring to truth, to light, those things that are done in darkness and those things that have been done in secret that are good, He will reward openly. It may not happen in your time frame, but the things that are done in secret that are darkness, God takes care of those things. But wouldn't it be better if it didn't happen the way we wanted it to happen to the person who had wronged us? Everybody's like, no. <laughs> I want them to suffer because they have made me suffer. But wouldn't it be better if that person that wronged you, instead of you going out and having to drag their name through the mud to make yourself look better, wouldn't it be much better if that person found repentance in the situation and actually got their heart right with God? Wouldn't that be better than them suffering the way you want them to suffer for the wrong that they've done you? Wouldn't that be better? That's why we need to take the high road. We need to take the road of repentance, the road less, less travel, the road of forgiveness, the road of mercy, the road of grace, not the road of us trying to make ourselves look good and everyone else look bad who's done us wrong. Because God's called us to be peacemakers. Are you getting this this morning? See, here's the thing. If we constantly have to follow up our conversations about someone with bless their little heart or we pray for them, then you probably aren't speaking good about them. If it's like, oh, well, let me tell you all this stuff going on with them. Well, bless their little heart. All of a sudden, that just makes it spiritual. Or you say, we, we're, we're going to pray for them. Oh, that justifies my gossip and my slander and my negative speech. No, it doesn't. It doesn't justify. It's kind of like in the South. Uh, the southern church announcements sometimes would be used as a, a, a platform for gossiping in the church. You know, the person would get up and do the announcement. We welcome all you guys to First Church today. And, you know, uh, we're going to go through our announcement. But first, we got some prayer requests. Um, you know, oh, Sister So-and-So, we need to lift her up today. Um, she don't know who the father of her baby is, and uh, we, we need to lift her up today, and uh, I hope you all pray for her, and we're going to pray for brother so-and-so. He done lost his job, and uh, you know, he, he can't feed those babies, but he's been trying. Well, y'all know what he's really been doing on the weekends, but we're going to pray for him. Bless his little heart, and you go, oh my goodness, what in the world is going on? You, you, you can't justify your gossip and slander and negativity by saying good things or using churchy words. That's not how it works. Can't use Bible lingo to clean it up. Oh, it is what it is. If it's negativity, if it's gossip, if it's backbiting, if it's slander, that's what it is. And you and I need to choose not to justify ourselves, but take the high road. And that means that where the Bible says that even a fool seems wise when he keeps his mouth shut. Instead of opening our mouths and Proving everybody right. 
say, okay, Lord, I'm going to set a guard over my mouth, the things that I allow myself to say, because we realize our words always have power. Always, always, always. Our words always have power. They're either always building up or they're always tearing down. Your words are the fruit of what is in your heart. So what comes out of your mouth, even about other people, that shows what is in your heart. And if you and I have been called to be peacemakers, and if God wants us to be peacemakers in this church family, then we need to learn how to speak good things about one another instead of tearing one another down. Because you know that side of the family when you go to your family reunion and you see them coming and they know everybody's business and they want to know what's going on in everybody's life. I remember when my wife and I lived in Arkansas, we lived close to a lot of family. We would get phone calls from family that would say, why are your blinds shut at your house? I drove by your house and saw your blinds were closed. It's because I'm walking around in my underwear and nobody wants to see that. <laughs> it's my house. Nobody wants to see that. Me included. That's why we don't have mirrors. <laughs> but people want to be up in your business. And if we allow that, if we, if we facilitate that, you know, when that family member comes, they want to be up in our business and they want to stir something up. Want to stir the pot a little bit. Oh, man, there's opportunity for offense. There's opportunity for negativity. But if we realize our words always have power, we set a guard over our mouth. Even when we're together as a church family, even when we're apart, even when we get in our cars, we go, you know what? I am going to set a guard over my mouth. I'm going to set an example for my children. I'm going to set an example for my spouse. I'm going to set an example for my friends. And I'm not going to allow myself to get caught up in negativity because I realize my words have power. And God's called me to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be the sons of God. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29 says it like this. Ephesians 4 and 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. But let all bitterness, all wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us, and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanliness and covetousness, let it not be even named among you as is fitting for the saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. He said, listen, he said, I want you to actually be speaking good things. I don't want you to be speaking bad things because this is showing the fruit of your heart. So what are you putting in your heart? What are you allowing to be invested in your heart? Because those are the things that's going to come out. If you're surrounding yourself with people who are negative, if you're surrounding yourself with people who are gossiping, you're surrounding yourself with people who are always dragging you down, then when you open your mouth, guess what's going to come out? Negativity. All that same stuff you've been surrounding yourself with. If you surround yourself with good things, with the words of God, if you get yourself into the word, surround yourself with people who lift you up instead of bring you down, people who are investing good things in you, then when you open your mouth, these things that have been invested in your heart are going to come out. Because what we speak is the fruit of our heart. And we need to realize that. And we need to also be aware, like it said here in verse 30 of chapter 4, that our negative speech actually grieves the Spirit of God. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit with the negativity, especially when it comes to our forever family, our church family, 
our local body of believers that assembles together. Let it not even be named among us that we're trying to drag one another down because our goal is to find unity, to find peace because we know that we have been called to do something great for the kingdom of God. We know we've been put here on purpose, with a purpose, to go out and do something great for God. And we're not going to let all this little negative junk that wants to weave its way into the family of God to bring us down. God says he actually hates those things. He doesn't say he hates those people, but he hates those things. In Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16, he says it like this. There's six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. God says he hates those things. So if you're constantly being surrounded by those types of things, you will end up participating in those things. Because you're allowing that influence in you. But remember, your words always have power. So what am I allowing to influence me? Am I, am I surrounding myself with, with negative speech, with discord that's being sown, with, 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 with all this junk that, that, that is causing harm to the body of Christ, to the family of God? Or am I surrounding myself with good things? Am I surrounding myself with those who want to lift up, who want to take the high road? The one that's not as often traveled, oftentimes. So we need to understand that peace and unity in His church is vital to our health, our growth, and our productivity. So if we're going to grow as a church, not just numerically, but if we're going to grow deeper in the Word of God, if we're going to grow deeper in relationship with one another and deeper in relationship with Him, if we're going to grow deeper in our level of effectiveness that God has called us to in this community, in this area that He's planted us in, peace and unity are vital to our health as a church. Amen? They're vital. Absolutely vital. So we need to be peacemakers who strive to keep unity. And I want you to understand something. If you are planted here in this church, and if God has called you to be a part of this local body, Word of Grace, then you are called to strive to keep unity in the family of God because you can be a part of the solution. You can be a part of that health, life-giving thing that causes us to continue to grow by when there is conflict, when there are things that come up, that you handle those things according to Scripture and not according to you wanting justice or vengeance or wanting to be right. Amen, somebody. But that we understand, no, I'm called here and I'm planted. This is what God has called me to do. And even if you realized at some point that God was transitioning you or you felt like you needed to leave a local body, if it was this one or another one, if you're here checking things out today and, and, and you're considering leaving your local church body to be a part of this one, then you need to understand, am I called? You need to ask yourself, am I called here? Because here's the thing, that, that the goal is for us to keep peace and unity in the body of Christ. This is key. So I want to help you. I want to give you a few um, uh, understandings from, from, from biblical principles on how we can transition out of a church in a healthy, God-honoring way. Number one is to have a good reason for leaving a church. You have to evaluate your reasons for wanting to leave. Are my reasons God-honoring reasons, or is it something that is situational? Is it something that all of my conditions aren't being met the way I want them, and, and I'm not even considering, am I called? Because maybe God is trying to grow or develop something in me while all my conditions aren't being met. Maybe it's a calling thing that God is wanting to develop something in me. And if I keep going from place to place, then I'm never going to get rooted and, and grounded to be able to flourish and to grow. 
Or is it something that I really believe God is calling me to do? And God will only call you to leave a local church to go plant into another one if your reasons will bring honor to Him. Amen? Oh, you guys are getting all weird on me. Amen? If, if your reasons are to honor Him. So we need to ask, are they God-honoring reasons or are they more situational? Number two, you need to communicate those reasons to the appropriate leaders. You need to find, seek to find understanding with leaders. I think a lot of times people live in the land of assumption when they come to transitioning. And they assume a lot of things and they never go and ask the people who can actually do something about it. Or ask someone who is actually directly involved with whatever situation that they may be concerned about. But God wants us to do that. We see that clearly and plainly in Scripture. And so I think that it's vital for the health and unity of the body of Christ for us to move forward in that type of a manner, that we communicate those things and that we don't just assume things. Number three is that we tell leaders the truth about your reasons for living, uh, your reasons for leaving. I don't care why you're living. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you, you, you need to tell leaders the truth for your reasons for leaving. Don't over-spiritualize things. Man, sometimes in church we over-spiritualize everything. And everybody just wants to, 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 oh, I just, I woke up in a cold sweat. And I just knew that God was telling me to do this. And as a matter of fact, I'm starting to get goosebumps now even thinking about it. No, you need to be honest and truthful about the reasons that God is calling you or the reason that he's telling you to do something. Don't over-spiritualize it. Number four, appropriately transition by concluding your prior commitments because this honors God and it keeps unity in the family of God because remember, you need to honor your, your, your prior commitments that you don't just abandon a ship because that doesn't honor God and it doesn't uh, keep the unity and peace within the local body. Number five, that you leave graciously and you don't try to spread evil or fear or that you don't try to tear down other people if God is calling you somewhere else or that you do decide to transition somewhere else because we, it's, it's, it's so imperative that you and I understand that God has called us to keep unity in the big picture body of Christ. Amen? You see, when you understand that the church is not somewhere we go, but it's, it's who we are, then you understand I'm the body of Christ whether I live in Australia or whether I live in America. Right? We are all connected. We are all the family of God. And we need to recognize that it, it's going to be an interesting scenario if we all can't get along down here, but we think in heaven, oh, everything's going to be so much better, and, 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 and I'm not... I mean, isn't that just a crazy parallel that we've got this idea, it's not important for us to be in unity here on the earth, but in heaven, it'll all be good. I mean, come on, that, that's a very selfish way of thinking. No, God wants us to bring glory and honor to Him while we're here on the earth, Amen. Everything's going to be so stinking amazing and perfect when we're all in heaven together. That's great. But you ain't in heaven right now, baby. You in Sheboygan Falls. <laughs> now, Sheboygan Falls may be a little piece of heaven occasionally, not during the winter. But, in, <laughs> but I, mean, I mean, we have a beautiful area that we live in. I love Sheboygan Falls, but heaven's going to be so much better. I deal with conflict here on the earth. I deal with negativity here on the earth. I, I, I deal with opinions here on the earth. I deal with my own opinion. I deal with personalities here on the earth. I deal with conflict within the body of Christ. And 
Yeah, I'm not going to have that sorrow and that conflict in heaven. But if the church is going to glorify God the way that it was created to glorify God, then we need to learn to operate in peace and unity while we're here on the earth so others can see how great He is. So they can see that even though people may have conflict, people may have differing opinions, somehow they still get along and make things work. Even though people may hurt us, people may talk bad about us, they may accuse us, they may point fingers, they may want to cause harm to us and speak negative. We don't play the game and we don't participate because we understand what we're called to do. We're called to be peacemakers. And we decide to take that road because we want to honor God and glorify God with our actions, with our lives. And then the Bible says that the world is going to know you're my disciples because you have love one for another. That's the calling card of a disciple. If we can't have love for one another, and that doesn't mean tolerance. That means love. Because I can tolerate anything for a little bit. That's what I was telling a buddy I was working out with the other day at the gym. I was telling him, I said, I said you can do anything in 15 seconds. Come on, 15 seconds. That's all you got left. 15 seconds. You can tolerate anything for 10 seconds. Come on, 10 seconds. That's all you got left. I can tolerate anything for a small amount of time. But God's not calling me to tolerate. He's calling me to actually walk in grace and love. And that is going to transcend tolerance. Amen? He wants me to actually love somebody. Be willing to lay down my life. Be willing to pick up my cross and follow him. And strive to be a peacemaker. Because blessed are the peacemakers. Amen? So here's the thing. As word of grace moves forward. Which I'm super excited about what God is doing and where we're going. As we begin to outline some of those things in the next few messages, it's going to be really exciting. I, our staff is excited. God has just done some amazing things. I'll tell you a real cool thing that happened the other day. We decided to block off the whole day as a staff to talk through some of the direction that God has laid on my heart that where we're going as a church. And I thought this was going to be like meeting one of three, you know, because we were just going to structure and outline some things. And everybody was so in unity as a staff that we just blazed through it in one day and got all this stuff just knocked out. And I'll be so excited to present you with some of these things here in the next few weeks about what we're doing and where we're going as a church. And I'm super excited. And I just love this idea of us embracing this idea of being a family and not church being somewhere we go, but it being who we are and that we invest and we do life together. But as we do move forward in those things, we need to be aware that there's going to be opportunity for offense. There's going to be opportunity for misunderstandings. There's going to be temptation to gossip and slander, to hold grudges. There's going to be opportunity for all those things, just like in your everyday life. But for the health of our hearts and for the health of this local body, we need to learn how to deal with those things from God's word in a spirit of love, in a spirit of unity, so we can be an effective body. Because an effective body is one that is growing in loving God, loving people, and serving the world together. Amen? Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. Would you bow your head? Thank you for listening. For more information, visit wog 